Welcome to Herbal Hour, the podcast on all things herbal and holistic. Today, we talk about the idea of food as medicine, how to bring medicinal herbs into your diet, sustainable organic farming, and we share some simple herbal recipes you can make at home. Thank you for listening to episode three. Enjoy. started out being a culinary chef and then you moved into herbalism. How'd you make the jump? Somewhat. So I actually grew up in my family's apothecary store. So I grew up with my nose and all of the jars uh, sort of traveling the world with the spice collection that we had. And that, um, you know, that sort of inspired me and then meeting a couple of other lovely human beings on this earth that were very into food and sort of tying the two together and um, ending up in the culinary world thereafter, wanting to explore that. So kind of uh, tested my feet out with some hodgepodge dinner parties in my tiny apartment in Portland and mm-hmm. uh, getting people to eat anything I could put before them and um, yeah, onward back here at the apothecary again, but a little more holistically this round, I think. Mm. Yeah, that sounds delicious. With time comes wisdom. This is this is very true. So you're the manager at this store, Dragon Herbarium, which is your father's, and we're actually recording in um, a storage room right now in the Dragon Herbarium. So this is the inaugural episode, actually at the Dragon Herbarium. Um, <laughs> You can follow Dragon Herbarium at Instagram. It's just dragon underscore herbarium. And you can follow Miss Mindy here at Mindish. That's with three M's. M M M I N D I S H. Just to make it weird for you. Three M's. Just just remember that. (laughs) Follow her on Instagram. She's always sharing some cool food stuff. Yeah, and all the gardening and things. Okay, so how do you how do you like working around here in the Dragon Herbarium? It's wonderful. We have a great community here, lovely people coming through, I'm completely inspired by the people we meet, learn a lot from them every day, you know, different walks of life, um, different perspectives. As you know, in herbalism, there's no rigid, singular mm-hmm. way of going about it. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a blessing. It came at a time in my life when I, uh, needed to step away from the culinary world too. Mm. So I got pregnant and had my baby and took a year off mm. and um, was home with him gardening and enjoying mother- motherhood and uh, sort of rebuilding a relationship with holistic and sustainable you know, lifestyle again. And um, was trying to contemplate how I was going to go back into this speedy, fast-paced uh, mm. world of food, with you know very demanding lifestyle. I'm, I mean, I don't know how other chefs do it with their families. It's it's amazing. You mm. know? It's a very passionate industry, but requires a lot of hours and mm. time and you know physical labor. So. Right. Yeah. So you you said that you kind of got into herbalism because you were you know s- sniffing around the jars at the uh, apothecary. Is there yeah. a particular story that uh, you can remember fondly? Gosh, I was a young teenager when I started to work at the shop, and it was like on the weekends, so it was super part time, and um, I was really interested in nutrition at the time, and 
to me, I was meeting a lot of, this is what, I mean, we're talking about over a decade ago, so maybe about 15 years ago. So this is before the wellness boom. This is mm -hmm. before people knew what holistic medicine was or what really, really anything about herbalism. So we had a lot of people coming in that wanted some kind of magical herbal pill that they take and everything goes away. They still come in looking for that. And they do, but mm -hmm. we have a lot more informed um, clientele mm -hmm. now than ever before. I mm -hmm. mean, it's shocking. It's shocking. Mm -hmm. So I was studying herbalism through books and anything I could get, any materials I could get my hands on, and everything kept tying back to food mm -hmm. or, you know sort of contemplating wild foods, wild herbs, these things that way. Um, a lot of people coming in were not paying attention to their diets or their lifestyles, so they wanted this magic herb that took everything away, but as we all know, you really have to have the base, the foundation, before you're going to see really positive results with any medicine, whether that's Western pharmaceuticals, mm -hmm. okay, or herbal medicine as preventative, so. That's, that's so true. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're eating McDonald's like four times a day and then you're taking a little echinacea on the weekends, it's not really going to do much for you. My, the saddest thing was when people <laughs> be like, I don't drink water. <laughs> I've heard that one. That's, that's, that's a mind-blowing well, one. What do you drink? You know, Probably soda. Soda, juice, tea, and I'm like, well... You gotta drink water. <laughs> you know, You've gotta drink water. It's so important. That's such a a, a major issue mm -hmm. right now in terms of uh, how diet is impacting health negatively. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of research coming out that high fructose corn syrup is specifically very detrimental to uh, insulin levels and leads to insulin resistance. So yes. things that are very high fructose corn syrup, like sodas, things like that, candy. Um, they really, many people believe, and I do as well, that they're leading to a lot of the chronic diseases that we're seeing now, the, the heart disease, the diabetes, the obesity. Yeah. Um, we have the Mexican government that finally put a tax on sugar. Thank you. Yay, Mexico. You did it. Mm -hmm. You know, because they saw that they care about their people to a degree enough to, you know, try to figure out a way to keep people from, you know, going the route of obesity and diabetes at a young age. I mean, mm -hmm. and it's like people buy bottled everything there because the water is not clean in most of the rural areas. So you have to. So what people were drinking was like haritos and sodas and things like that because it was cheaper to buy a soda than it was to buy a bottle of water. Hmm. Yeah. How is that? So thank you, sugar tax, for raising the cost mm. of a candy bar or a soda over the price of real food or real water. Mm. So, yeah. You know, there was, a, there was a movement, I believe, it was by Bloomberg in mm -hmm. uh, New York, um, to actually put like a limit on how much soda you can sell at once. It didn't pass. <laughs> Obviously, it didn't pass. Yeah. Mindy, of course, yeah. it didn't pass. I there know. was a big, you know, big sugar came in there. I don't even know if that's a real lobbying group. It probably is. Uh, came in there and they, they stopped that right up. So, yeah, it's a big industry. And um, I mean, you know, there's something wrong or broken when our foods are banned in like 30, more, <laughs> 30 or more different countries. It's not just our food, you know. It's, skincare products, you know, we, we're laden with chemicals it's here. Not a, it's, it's not very a good unregulated. Sign. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever had a Coca-Cola from Mexico in yeah. those glass bottles? Oh yeah. They make it with the sugar? It's made with cane sugar instead Ooh. of high fructose corn syrup. Oh, it makes all the difference. Yeah. It's well. so delicious. It's probably still not the best thing for you, but no. probably better than high fructose corn syrup. If you're reading the label, it's a start. Mm. I'll say that's a start mm. in the positive direction because mm. then it's only a matter of time before you start to learn more about those ingredients mm -hmm. and you start to care or learn more about your health. So right. that's tied together. Absolutely. So there's a big movement nowadays with, uh, called food as medicine. Yes. There's many people talking about using food as a medicinal treatment. Of course, it's not a, it's not a new idea. 
everyone knows that Hippocrates has been, you know, he was talking about it over 2,000 years ago. He said, let food be thy medicine. Yeah. How do you think that food can be our medicine? I mean, herbs are food. They mm. are wild foods, you know. These are things that are loaded with more protein and minerals than any commercial ag can provide, any mm. agricultural company can provide. So mm. we're seeing issues with soil, you know. People are not properly repairing the soil before they're planting another crop of wheat, corn, mm. soy, mm. you know, and then there's monocrops. So, you know, you have to replenish, otherwise you're not going to get enough of what you need. So I think we're seeing a bro we have a broken system, and that's why people are turning more to herbs because they're trying to find answers, but we do need to consider the process of growing these things and what that does, not only to the environment, all the byproducts of that, uh, soil erosion, etc., but um, also on our health of like how it's grown is going to impact you. Um, mm. So. So do the amounts of minerals and things of that nature in the soil translate pretty uh, straightforward into the plants and vegetables that we eat? Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you have, say, horsetail or shave grass that's loaded with silica. Mm -hmm. It's an important ingredient when you're mixing your compost tea or mm. uh, burning it so that you can turn it into a water-soluble mineral and mix it into your soil so that your plants can absorb it. Um, and give you that mineral, making that mm. that mineral um, absorbable to you. So mm, that kind of uh, brings up uh, an issue in my mind, mm -hmm. which is the advice is you know eat more vegetables. But if our vegetables are uh, being farmed in such a way that they have almost no nutritional value, they have hardly any vitamins, hardly any minerals. Mm -hmm. Eating your vegetables is not really even that much of a health booster not like it would be if you you know grew your own garden had wild uh things growing or you picked wild vegetables and berries and things like that yeah hence why we're having to introduce herbs and sea vegetables mm. because they are more nutrient dense compared to the vegetables that we're seeing but mm. still i still want people to consider that herbs are very big right now and they still are a commercial crop Mm -hmm. So, um, we need to fix our agriculture system. We need to take the time. It does take time. Um, we need to stop using chemical pesticides. Mm, that would help. You know, you know, a closed loop system that mimics nature is ideal, you know, mm. giving 25% of your crop back to the earth, the bugs, the animals, etc. Mm. instead of trying to ward them off, you know integrating crops together instead of just monoculture monocrops mm. that's like that uh, can help a big idea behind permaculture yes right? yeah. where does that term come from permaculture um it's like permanent agriculture or permanent something agriculture. like that it's about being sustainable uh, about, ecosystem right yes it's about recreating what is already observed in nature mm. essentially um which is yeah, it's so funny because we think mm -hmm. we can kind of do it better as humans, mm -hmm. and so we've kind of taken it into our rigid nature of yeah. putting things in a box, putting things in a square, trying to, yeah. you know, control it all that way. But really, we should be mimicking nature. Mm. Some years, you know, the spiders are going to be the dominant insect, and then other years, mm. it might be, you know, mayflies, it might be aphids one year, and it, it ebbs and it flows, but mm -hmm. yeah, finding this way of permaculture is really important. You know, mm. what impact do you think that diet plays in in health in general? It's it is your health. It is. I mean, that is your life source. That's your energy source. Mm. Food is. So, diet is important. Diet is necessary. You know, I've heard uh, some, some interesting stories from the conventional world. Uh, one of my good friends, um, his girlfriend's mom was diagnosed with a terminal uh, cancer. It was of the, 
uh, gastrointestinal system. Mm -hmm. And she really didn't have much time to live. And the, the doctor's recommendations to her were eat whatever you want. Eat ice cream, eat cake, eat all this. Right, yes. And that's just mind-blowing. I can understand yeah. from one perspective, it's like, okay, you know, it's terminal, just enjoy your life. But there's this lack of focus on the quality of life because there's no way somebody with, you know, uh, like a stomach cancer eating ice cream is going to make them feel good. It'll make them feel good for five minutes and then they'll feel like crap. Right. So their little bit of quality of uh, life that they have left is completely diminished. And there's this very common attitude in conventional medicine of being very dismissive of diet. In fact, right. when I was doing research for, uh, for our talk here, looking at food as medicine, one of the first things that pops up is, you know, sciencebasedmedicine.org. Mm -hmm. And it was just ragging on the whole Hippocrates, let food be thy medicine and saying, it's all just a thing hippies say and only, only medicine is medicine and food is food. And it's so incredibly ignorant because there's a remarkable amount of research out there that shows yeah. diet is an exercise and things like that are so fundamental to health that even conventional doctors by standard of care have to ask certain questions in terms of, are you smoking? Are you eating this? Are you eating that? Because the risk that it plays in these uh, diseases is so great that even um, modern medicine is forced to basically accept something that has always been part of medicine. Right. Yeah. It has never really left Everywhere it. Everywhere else in the world has integrative preventative diet and herbal care as the, the first step. Mm. You know, it's not well, that they don't have pharmaceuticals. It's they treat with these natural, you know, preventative measures first and foremost, mm. you know, and they, they have the best preventative medicine, you know, outside of us. We have terrible preventative, but we'll save your life so you don't die. We'll, we'll keep you alive, but you're going <laughs> to we'll have a, you're going to have a crappy yeah. life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's pretty miserable. Yeah. So that part of our system is broken. Um, in the medical world and anyone saying like any doctor that's saying that diet doesn't have a role in disease is I'm sorry but outdated and misinformed mm. because there are plenty of clinics and hospitals now there's even we have our St. Vincent mm -hmm. their entire cafeteria is organic mm. and now they have a, a farmer's market mm. that's every what I like week to hear. And up in Seattle, too, that one of the uh, big can cancer treatment centers is all organic. You know, they're trying to push for more plant-based, organic, clean foods because they know the role it plays. Limit the amount of chemicals you are exposed to because we're already exposed to enough. Mm. I always wonder this. Why do you think there's so much pushback against these ideas of diet being part of medicine when Hippocrates who's touted in the history books as being, you know, the founder of Western medicine, of modern medicine. Right. Diet was his primary approach. Herbs, herbs even came later. It was diet first. Herbs are an extra thing. If the diet's not good, herbs aren't going to help. Why do you think there's so much pushback against that ideology? Um, there's not enough nutritional um, education in Western mm. uh, schools. In Western medicine schools. So um, that's probably why it's an old idea. You know, it's outdated. And I think people are resorting to what they learned maybe in school instead of trying to expand their knowledge base and find out more of what's modern and going on in mm. research now. Mm. You know, there's, there's plenty of scientific papers you know, oh, there's so many published on it's it's diet amazing. And medicine, so. I'm sure if you type diet into uh, PubMed, yeah, you're gonna find you know a hundred thousand, if not more, articles. So many. Yeah. So I mean, there's always gonna be people that are resistant to change mm -hmm. in this world. You know, that's uh, it's going to be a thing that we will always be pushing up against. Mm. It's inevitable, but that doesn't mean it should. Um, that it should keep you from still pushing for the right thing and mm -hmm. what you believe in. And um, mm -hmm. definitely being involved and uh, active in your health care with your provider. So if your provider's not interested in 
working with you around your ideas, then maybe it's time to get a new provider. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it's time to consider somebody that wants to integrate with you, um, is going to help you find the right questions to ask so that you can uh, have better care. Mm. That's a big part of it is your involvement, you asking questions, having honesty, being able to be open with your physician and then being open with you mm. as much as the law yeah, allows. There's some things I'll you, say that too. <laughs> we, there is some mandatory reporting for certain things uh, that you disclose to physicians. So a lot of uh, most is, things are protected, but yeah. some things, you know. They have to be careful, you know. They do because we're a Sue Happy Nation right mm-hmm. now. And so there's a lot of information they can't just give to you. There's a lot of information they can't give you what the options are. You need to already have done your research to a degree. Come with your questions loaded and then ask because they can't just freely give that to you mm. for legal reasons, you know. My... Um... On the subject of Sue Happy, my father, who's a general surgeon, was telling me a pretty remarkable fact that his um, like liability insurance or malpractice mm. insurance uh, costs him tens of thousands of dollars a year. Yeah. Tens of thousands of dollars a year just to protect him in the likely event that, that somebody's going to sue him yeah. for him maybe making a mistake, but... I know my father well, and he would never purposefully right. do anything or um, do a procedure that he's not comfortable with. So if something happens, it happens. But it's so Sue happy. Yeah. Major Where's problem. Where's our humanity? Yeah, where is it? Mm-hmm. Where's our humanity? It's back in the forest, Mindy, probably. <laughs> Let me dehumanize you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Aww. So this, this idea of uh, food as medicine, I've seen it. In pretty much every traditional medicine that I've studied, I've seen it in Chinese medicine. I've yeah. seen it in more traditional Western herbalism, in Greek matters, uh, medicine, in Ayurveda. And they actually have developed systems, uh, as you know, for describing how like the tastes of foods and herbs actually um, tell us what their medicinal effects are. I love that. It's your area, loving yeah. the, you know, the energetic properties of yeah, exactly. plants and foods and things. Yeah, it all plays a role. I find it, uh, it's, it's fascinating in that it's like more of a like subjective or qualitative approach to um, medical knowledge. Yeah. Um, and it, in a lot of cases, it actually it lines up with more scientific thinking too. It just is kind of a different lens. Yeah. So, for example, something uh, we've talked about before, but an example of a taste that tells us a medicinal property. In Chinese medicine, uh, the sour taste mm-hmm. is uh, held to be associated with the liver. Right. And it's cooling. Um, right. And you don't have to think too deep into it to realize um, that eating lots of fruits, very sour fruits, berries, um, lemonade... Mm-hmm. It actually is Apple cooling. Cider vinegar. Yeah, they're refrigerants. That's literally what they're called in uh, in herbalist lingo. Yeah, meaning they cool the body. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, I think progress that could be made in that realm if those areas of discussion are reopened and revisited with a critical view. I don't think that tradition should necessarily be taken, you know, de facto as truth. Right. But it, we should be open to it. It's a starting place mm-hmm. for us to take and open our minds and, and learn and grow. Mm. Yeah. What's your favorite uh, food taste? See if I could uh, mm. tell you what I, organ that's associated oh with. Boy. I love... It depends, actually. It changes um, depending on the, my cycle. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Some, sometimes of the month I'm really interested in salty foods. Mm. Um, that's kidneys yep um, so yeah I, I do I like bitter too at times mm. so, bitter or sour mm. I'm uh, very partial to sour things I just yeah. love sour things I'm known to just chew lemon slices with the <laughs> peel and Good. people look at me like I have you know three heads but I'm like try it with uh, some honey yeah. it's delicious getting your vitamin C in that pith Exactly, that yeah. pith. That pith. Nice word. <laughs> that pith pith. Yeah. All right, so what are some ways that people can get more medicinal herbs into their diet? 
I think that you should grow your own herbs at the very least. If you don't have a plot of land or a backyard or a front yard or your landlord says no or and you're living in a tiny apartment, you probably have space somewhere in a window to have a small herb garden, a small pot of herbs. Mm -hmm. So I would grow things like holy basil, cilantro, parsley. These are all really easy to grow herbs. Um, they reproduce well. You can, you know, you can use all different parts of them. Like once the cilantro goes to seed, you have your coriander seed. Um, and working with it in your foods that way. Those are all things that are very easy to work into every single meal mm. if you want. You know, it's about getting out of your comfort zone and starting to think about food for yourself instead of following directions and recipes. Like, those are great. Those can be a starting point, but don't let the ingredients be the only, like the list of ingredients intimidate you and don't let those limit you. Holy basil, you can swap out for basil. You can, you know, make a holy basil pesto, throw mm. it in your tomato salad. Mm. Um, Sounds delicious. So doing things like that, because there's not always a lot of medicinal herbs in the grocery store or mm -hmm. at the farmer's market available mm -hmm. to you. There's not a lot of fresh herbs. So I like to use a lot of fresh herbs. I do use dry herbs um, for a lot of things, but more for like teas um, and decoctions and things mm -hmm. like that. But um, yeah, I mean, grill your, you know, grill your skewers on rosemary sticks. Mm. Um, just smelling rosemary can help prevent dementia and Alzheimer's. So eating it is really lovely if you like it. Mm. Um, there's a number of things you could do. Uh, mm. Nettle in the place of spinach. That mm -hmm. grows everywhere here. You could pop that in a window too. Mm -hmm. It would do it. And then collect the seeds and sprinkle the seeds on your salad or munch on them as a little snack. These are all very nutritious herbs that have lots of minerals in them so is there any um spice herbs that are more on the hot side that are um relatively easy to grow like um give me an example um like, like savory, pepper are or garlic or onions or Things like that that yeah. are very typical in pretty much every dish and every cuisine. I mean, you can definitely grow green onions. They don't take up a lot of space. Mm -hmm. You can trim them down and keep them growing. Um, I've grown chili peppers indoors, mm -hmm. jalapenos and things like that. I'm a big supporter of spice. Mm -hmm. like, I think spice is important. Heat, like that mm -hmm. temperature is great. Um, some people are very afraid of it, but I think it's lovely. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, I have not tried to grow pepper because we live in Oregon and that is more of a tropical <laughs> and it's a tree. So mm -hmm. you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, get out too far into that realm of growing a lot of exotic. You can, but you know, there are things, Moringa tree I'm seeing at the market mm. and you can bring it indoors and I'm, I've been talking to others that are growing that inside mm. little moringa bush that one's super nutritious and that tends to grow all over the world ironically where there's a lot of starvation and malnutrition mm. so is it uh, I think used to treat that people have lost connection with the plants and mm. the foods that grow around them mm. I think identification is important and passing that knowledge on Mm. is important so you know i think that's kind of part of it mm. people don't know that it's there but it grows there um in that line of thought there's this fascinating uh idea about the properties of herbs <clears throat> where if a plant grows in let's say it's in a very uh damp boggy environment or lives you know in a marsh like marshmallow or something like that mm -hmm. um the idea is that when we take in that plant, we kind of almost, we absorb its evolutionary adaptations through its biochemistry. And now our body is more built to handle that 
what would be called that wet, boggy, cold uh, condition, which could be something, you know, like a stuffy nose or just, you know, you're out in the rain or it's Portland winter and you're just like <laughs> suffering. Like speaking of which. Yeah. <laughs> I've been craving marshmallow roots. You have? Uh, it's yeah. probably in preparation <laughs> for like, this imminent, right, yep. imminent six months it's of just time. like... It's already, it's already getting dark right yeah. now, guys. Yeah. I, I think in uh, in Portland's uh, Prozac prescription rates and like um, craft beer sales probably increased by like a thousand percent in well, like the six our, months from We have November. a recreati- recreational cannabis now. So actually cannabis mm. has dropped the sales of alcohol. Mm. Yay. Good job, guys. I think that's a better plant, honestly, to be using instead of alcohol. It's a great medicinal plant. And yes. there's this big idea these days of incorporating it into cookie uh cooking cookies into cookies (laughs) friday friday and slip in a cookie (laughs) i clearly want some cookies (laughs) okay i'll make you some cookies thank you please (laughs) yeah no i actually work with a lot of cannabis um i enjoy it i don't like to smoke high thc strains or anything Mm. like that i prefer a balance why because it makes you go crazy (laughs) well because i'm not interested in the psychoactive side ah i do like the relaxing anti-inflammatory the flavors are interesting all the terpenes and all of that um are lovely but normally relaxing muscle relaxing um it's an evening sort of imbibement for me um Mm. but cooking with it is different because you're not going to really get those psychoactive uh, effects when you're working with it say Mm. like fresh leaf so i I work with fresh leaf whenever mm. I can. You can use it in pasta yeah. sauce, for example. Chop up your cannabis leaf into fine minced little pieces mm. and use it in place of oregano. Right, and there's a lot of medicinal compounds yes. in it. Um, the I believe it's called like THCB and CBDB or something like that. That's the form before it's... Uh, um, decarboxylated or D- decarbed. THCA, yeah. It's THCA is the And then it the turns form. to THC and it, when oh, it reaches oh, over it. 250 degrees, 250 degrees. Right. So, and those compounds in themselves have been found to have uh, medicinal benefits separate from the ones from THC. So yeah. that's a whole nother realm of, oh, you can use it as a medicine that actually doesn't necessarily, you know, make you afraid of your cat or something. Right. We have cannabinoid receptors in our brain. Mm-hmm. So... We should be eating things with cannabinoids. That's not just cannabis. That's echinacea. Mm. So um, learning more about your food and, and integrating integrating these things. But it can start anywhere. I love cannabis, so it's great one. It's easy to work with, too. Mm-hmm. So, And you're not going to get high. So if people are really concerned about the psychoactive effects, if you're using fresh leaf... It's normally fan leaf. It doesn't have THC crystals all over it. And you're not going... And, and also, like, most of the food's not going to reach over 250 degrees. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're doing, like, a light sauce or something mm-hmm. like that. If you're, or a salad. I make salsas with the fresh leaf that never heat up at all. So you're getting all of your terpenes. Mm-hmm. Which they're finding in science right now that the terpenes are almost more beneficial than the CBD and the THC. So... Mm-hmm. And those are all, you know, those terpenes are shared in cannabis with other plants. It's fascinating. Eucalyptus, et cetera, all all different kinds of herbs and plants. Cannabis has been bred in an incredibly interesting way because it contains the compounds that, like you said, all these other herbs have, like limonene and stuff that's in like lemons. That's why some of them smell like kind of citrusy. Yeah. Some miraculous plant that always makes me... Uh, always makes me think how amazing would it be if we treated other medicine herbs like we did cannabis and really grew them and hybridized them for their medicinal benefit. Right. You know, we would probably have some echinacea that you would take that just would, you know, instantly just kill your cold. Well, and... Because it'd be so strong. Cannabis, um, cannabis helps other herbs. Hmm. Uh, medicinally so it's a protagonist essentially which is amazing Mm. so that's something to consider but yeah if as much care went into growing our other herbs and plants as we do with cannabis right now we'd be in pretty decent shape Mm -hmm. that said with a grain of salt because you know there's still a lot of commercial grows out there monsanto owns a load of them Mm. by the way um 
that aren't sustainable, that aren't caring about mycelium in the soil, for example. But yeah, there are people that do care. There are a lot of organic grows that are, are putting a lot of care into it. Mm. And um, another interesting thing is a lot of people grow other herbs side by side with cannabis because they deter pests. But, mm. you know, there's a story, what, of the strawberry field strain, and they found that in a strawberry field, mm. but it took on, um, like, flavor notes and profiles of the strawberries. Wow, that sounds delicious. Right. That's There's so another good. one. I can't remember what the name of the strain is, but it it smells um, and has like flavor profile of lavender mm. too. So, you know, integrating these plants together and growing and and them sharing these flavor profiles and terpenes mm. could give us most medicinal benefit too. Mm. And it's an incredibly easy herb to cook with. Yeah. Basically, uh, if someone wanted it for its full spectrum effects, including its psychoactiveness. All you have to do is basically decarb it, which is just keeping it, keeping the chopped up herb um, between 200 and 250 Fahrenheit for Mm -hmm. between 20 to 30 minutes, depending on what you want to extract. Take that stuff and then uh, just put it in some kind of oil, butter, saturated fat is the best. Yep. Uh, to make like a nice can of butter, mm-hmm. coconut oil and like grass fed butter are definitely oh, yeah. the best ones. And then have a little double boiler set up so that it doesn't fry it. Yes. Have that, that herb in there, do that for like an hour or two till it gets that nice greenness and then filter it out with like a filter bag or whatever. And then, you know, you just put it in the, put it in the fridge and now you got basically a a bar of green butter that you can just put on your toast. Mm-hmm. Put on your Medicine toast. doesn't get better than that. Yeah. It's one of the few herbs that's actually very medicinally potent and actually tastes good. It does. Some people don't like the flavor I'm, I've found. Mm, but who are these people? I don't know. <laughs> they don't eat any herbs. No. I don't know. They don't, they're probably the same ones who don't drink water, Mindy. I think that's, <laughs> but that's where I'm like, well, you know, you can decarb and infuse in oil that way. And that's going to pull those compounds out like THC mm. um, and make it more psychoactive. You'll still get all your medicinal benefits as well. Not just that, but um, it's going to be stronger in that cannabis flavor than say fresh leaf. So I'm going to say for people who don't much like the flavor of cannabis, that's where like finding a way to get fresh leaf, growing mm. your own because you can grow your own. You can have four plants here. That's you know, pretty that's pretty remarkable. Hand, um without having a medical grow. Uh so you know, you can do that and then you don't it doesn't have to taste like cannabis so much. That's where I'm saying like Use it in a salsa verde or it's chimichurri. Add some cannabis leaf, add your cilantro, your lemon Mm -hmm. or lime juice and your olive oil Mm -hmm. and garlic. And it's not going to taste like cannabis at all. It's going to taste like chimichurri. Mm. Yeah. And you, uh, you get all those, uh, those benefits of Mm -hmm. cannabis that are well touted, like Mm anti-inflammatory, anti-anxiety, all that. But then you don't, you know, you can go to work and you'll be fine. Yeah. So that's kind of a benefit, you know? We've been exploring trying to juice the leaves, which has been a pain in the butt. I was uh, part of that process, <laughs> and it is—it stains your hands it when does. you squeeze the uh, the leaves out. Yeah, uh, and it just smells Chlorophyll. like chlorophyll. Woo! It doesn't smell anything <laughs> like cannabis. It just smells like um, some kind of like grass it's or like something. Grassy. Yeah. So then you can take the juice and you can freeze that into cubes and then you can put that in anything too you could put that in soup you Mm. could put it in tea you could put it in sauce you could you know just drink it straight thaw it and drink it whatever Mm. you want to do so the world is yours yes the (laughs) cannabis industry is booming out here in uh in portland oregon in Colorado, our, Washington, yeah, all big that. Big herb. It's a very important herb for us to be eating. Mm-hmm. You know, It's been used for so, a very long time yes, uh, it has. for all sorts of purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in India, there's this uh, traditional preparation of it. Um, it's called bang, I believe, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's a kind of like milk or yogurt that they make oh. out of cannabis. Um, and wow. That's really cool. Yes. And uh, a few years ago, um, when I was very into my Ayurveda phase and studying Indian (laughs) philosophy and also partaking of cannabis, 
um, I made that mixture, which is basically you get it by, um, by preparing either the cannabis in butter and then adding it to milk and boiling it together, or you can just decarb, um, you can decarb the cannabis and then, uh, boil it in the milk for a while and then strain it out and oh. you get this like. You need like a whole fat milk, obviously, because it's the fat that pulls it. But let me tell you, that stuff with a little bit of honey and some butter, oh, it's the most delicious thing. Maybe that a little bit of cocoa. Great. It's so good. That sounds like, you know, infusing the leaves into milk would be, you could make ice cream the same way. Ooh. Coconut milk. All right. Because uh, I don't we're do taking, uh, <laughs> We're taking investors for this new idea. We're going to make some cannabis ice cream. <laughs> Can you imagine if there was like... Uh, purple haze lemon flavored freaking ice cream and it was hyper concentrated you can make every flavor i just had a from cannabis just cannabis that smelled like coffee mm. just like coffee really so could make cannabis coffee ice cream mm, with some coffee beans in it oh yeah to get you started in the morning that's right <laughs> <laughs> yeah the weirdest uh smelling cannabis uh, I've ever experienced was something called blue cheese. Oh yeah. Have you had I that have, strain? I have. It's really interesting. It actually smells like cheese. Yeah. And you're like, something's not right. Uh, and it's kind of like a little bit like funky looking, like purple bluish mm -hmm. aspects. But I had quite a good shamanic experience. I'll, I'll tell you that much. Ah. So cheese is good. <laughs> cheese is good. <laughs> That's good for your health. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. It's like reminded me of the GMO one. They call it GMO or garlic minced onion. <laughs> There's another strain they call Sophie's Breath. And I'm like, God, poor Sophie, whoever that was named after. Oh, my God. Because it's so stinky. Yeah. Know? It does smell just like garlic minced onion. Mm. It's interesting. So as is uh, tradition, we're uh, drinking some tea here. What, uh, what tea do we have today, Mindy? This is the Genmaicha. It's a Japanese toasted rice green tea. So this tea, it's again, this is a, it's a brown rice green tea that's um, been used in Japan mm. for a long time. The rice was added almost as like a filler. So this tea is something that um, was affordable for any class. So. Anybody in poverty could still enjoy tea while fluffing it with a little bit of toasted brown rice. Mm -hmm. And I love the notes of the toasted rice. It actually gives it a lovely nutty flavor along with these grassy green notes of the tea itself. And I guess the term, um, uh, what is it? It's like the cha means tea and the genmai means brown rice. So mm. it literally is brown rice tea. So... Don't quote me on that, but mm. <laughs> that's from when I was reading about it. I really, uh, I really appreciate the flavor. It yeah. has like a kind of a little bit of bitterness, but mm -hmm. almost like like toasted rice or something, like a little toasted rice cracker. Yeah. Uh, but it it goes nicely in with the tea flavor. You must be like a master brewer because the flavor came out really good. Usually when I make teas, I just I just fill up the French press like halfway. I just make it super strong. You need the caffeination. And, and then people are like, oh, leave it in for 10 minutes. I'm like, I let that infuse for like 30 minutes with oh boiling water. Gosh. And then I drink it and then I'm just like, ready to go. Tea ceremony is a whole nother thing. Mm. I just had my first traditional tea ceremony with our lovely friends over at Sintamani Tonics. Mm. And... Um, and they're beautiful apothecary. They're in Gearheart here in Oregon on the beach. They had a gorgeous table and the whole ordeal, but had some lovely teas with them um, and learning some more about brewing that way. You know, they rinse the cup, they pour the cup over their beautiful wood table, uh, rinsing the water down and out. And then, and that warms the cup enough so that, you know, whatever tea they're brewing is at the right temperature to reach the the cup you're drinking from, but each tea is going to have a specific temperature that's ideal for flavor profile. Mm. Um, and this one, I believe, is 85 degrees um, is your best temperature for brewing. Mm. Um, that's a really fine attention to detail. 
Well, yeah, and then you don't want to over, you don't want to steep it for longer. Than, and, you know, that's going to change. Like things like, say, matcha, right? Mm -hmm. The ground green tea powder mm -hmm. that everybody's green into gold. right now. That one you're not supposed to mix with hot water. Really? It'll turn it brown. It oxidizes it mm. really quickly, and then you get all the bitter notes. So keeping it at a room temperature um, water is going to I've be I've been doing best. it wrong this whole time. Oh, well. <laughs> you still get the effects from it, you but do. it's just not as delicious. Well, and there's I've had lovely matcha right. you know, drinks. I've had it mixed with yerba mate. Mm. Hemp milk as like an elixir, and that's amazing. You know, It's mm. not traditional by any means, but, you know. Mm. Touche. It's fun to experiment and play around. So mm. while yeah. we're on the topic, what are some of your favorite alternative milks? I love oat milk. Oh, thank you. Okay, That's my favorite love, one for sure. I love hemp. Okay, but I don't really like mm. hemp milk that much. Has a little bit of a bitter note to it, um, and I'm consuming my hemp in other formats, so I don't feel like I need to devote my <laughs> my milk experience from to the hemp. pipe. <laughs> <laughs> right. So oats are really important for your brain and your mm. nervous system. So consuming oat milk is awesome, which gets me on another little recipe of make your own oat milk. It's so cheap and easy to do, and you can mix half oats, half milky oat tops, and have an amazing, amazing, amazing brew. It'll be grassier, but it's so much better for you. Do tell. Yeah. I'm very interested in, in doing that for myself. Yeah, it's very simple. The equal parts, oats, rolled oats are best, and then mm -hmm. your milky oat tops, you could probably put oat straw in there too to get mm -hmm. the full added benefits. I think someone was Chanchal Cabrera, Chanchal Cabrera uh, lectured on oats at one point, and she said that one, like it's like the straw works off of like the nervous system part, and then the oat tops work off of brain mm -hmm. healing. Mm -hmm. um, so that was kind of interesting to also consider the entire plant works off of dist different systems in the body. Right, traditionally. Um, for whole body healing. Traditionally, the milky oat was used as a kind of uh, nervous system tonic, and yes. most of the healing benefits that are talked about of uh, oats are actually referring to milky oat yes. tinctures. Uh, and the oat straw, apparently from uh, writers from the 1900s, was more actually for uh, rheumatic conditions and joint disorders and things. So uh, not even nervous the, system related. Maybe Okay, so maybe I had it backwards, so maybe inflammation-based as well. Yeah. Right. So. Um, milky oats are really good if you just yeah. coffee grind them up. And make them into like a, a tincture. They come out really good. So how? What's yeah. the what's the methodology for making this milk? It's very easy. So you would take your milky oats, your oats equal mm. parts, put them in a blender with water. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then you puree that until it's all ground up really well. Mm. I I invested in a really high powered blender. A lot of you have. Vitamix out there, mm -hmm. and that's great because it's an American company that makes that device. So yay, really? you're supporting our industry, which is important right now. Um, but um, it is high powered enough to process something like that, and that really gives you the creamy notes of like these milk alternatives. Um, so yeah, but you know your ninja will work just fine too. You might mm -hmm. soak it a little longer, so you mm. might let these oats soak in the water for like. I don't know. I've let it sit overnight sometimes because I'm mm -hmm. not really picky or finicky. If I don't have the time to strain it off, I'm like, yeah, I'll leave it in the fridge a little bit longer and mm -hmm. we'll survive. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> it's not going to kill us to do that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, putting it putting it in there to let it soak a little bit before you puree it will, you know, make things a little more water, water soluble and mm -hmm. help it break down with your blender a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you blend it until it's pureed and then you strain it through um, uh, a strainer. They have these lovely bags that mm -hmm. are nylon mesh, BPA free. I love those and bags. They are incredibly they're so fine mesh. Yes. They're called what? Like tincture bags or, or something like yeah, that? Or nut milk bags is another mm. term for them. Um, so those are great. You strain through that and then and you squeeze out all of the water that you can and then you have your oat milk and you can thin it out more if you want, just by adding water, mm. you know, or you can keep it really thick. So your recipe can be adjusted really easily. Mm 
um, that way. But it's delicious. It makes a hell of a latte or mocha, mm-hmm. um, and it's a wonderful alternative to mm. dairy. Any benefits of using like warm water uh, in the process? Does it help the extraction I, at all? Or That's a great question because I don't use tap water. I have a filtration system mm-hmm. uh, at my house that filters everything. And so all my water comes out room temperature. Okay. Um, so yeah, room temperature is great. Filtered water is great. Distilled water, you know, clean, mm. clean water. If you got spring water... <laughs> There's actually a spot out here. Um, if you're going, uh, I'm going to give out a secret location oh, for, no. for anyone who's still sticking <laughs> around uh, listening. But there's there's a place where you can get free uh, spring water. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to tell you the exact location, so you're going to have to go on a little treasure hunt for it. But I'll tell you a uh, hint. Um, when you're going out to the coast, it's halfway along uh, Route 26. Look for all the cars and people standing in a line. Yeah, you'll find it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not that hard to find. Yeah. Uh, but they, it's um, very good water, and it comes out really cold and crisp. I love um, it. And it's just running all the time. So You can really taste the difference. If I could do oh, a yes. side-by-side for people, and they're not freaked out to do it, of fresh spring water that was, you know, maybe captured in a glass uh, vessel of some sort, and then mm-hmm. put that next to tap water or even filtered or distilled water, you will taste the difference. The difference is remarkable. It's shocking. Yeah. I, I've done that test and that spring water, especially when it's cold, Ooh, yeah. it, it feels like splashing water in your yeah. face in the morning. It's That's what it feels like to drink it. Yeah. yeah. It's strange. Yeah. Negative ions mm-hmm. are s- making you feel like you're going to blast off the planet. That's how we should always feel, right? <laughs> Well, if we got our, if, well, maybe not always. You know, if you're working a nine to five, maybe you do need to, to just rest. be dull. <laughs> anyway, no offense against nine to fives. I, I basically work a nine to five. Yes. I'm a student, though. Same here. Uh, <laughs> we have an interesting uh, career field, though. So it's definitely not sitting at uh, desks. So very, very thankful for that. Yeah. Um, back to the tincture bags. Yes. I just want to re mention those because. Uh, for the home herbalist making tinctures of any sort or salves or oils, they are absolutely profound in the yeah. difference they make. Usually the recommendations, you know, when you read an herb book is use a cheesecloth, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're using finely ground up herbs to make a tincture, which is what you want to do. Yes. Because you want to increase surface area to increase extraction. Makes it easier to uh, get all that liquid out too in the end. Exactly, yeah. So when you have that tincture bag, it won't actually fall through because it has like these micro uh, holes, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so it allows you to actually make a tincture out of powder yeah. and then squeeze it out. Whereas with the cheesecloth, that's never going to happen. Oh You're just going to get goodness. chunks of herb in your, in your tincture. Back in the day when I was making horchata from scratch, <laughs> I wish I had this tincture bag because I was using a billion layers of cheesecloth and filtering it like um, three different times yeah. to try to get all of the grand Causing out. cheesecloth sh- shortages Ugh. with our actions. Yeah, it's a waste. So yeah, the, the these bags are reusable and they're very durable and strong. So you can really like squeeze the crap out of it and it's not mm. going to break open or you know, end up with dumping half of your powder mixture back into it's your so, stuff. So it's so good. Strength. And then they have yeah. the little drawstring at the top yeah. that you can kind of seal it up. Because I remember when I would use cheesecloths, I would, you know, put it over like a mason jar or something and I would mm-hmm. put like a rubber band and then it would like fall oh, in when yeah. I was pouring it uh-huh. and I had to refilter it. Yeah. And I was just hating my life. It's like, how many times am I going to strain this So, um, So wake up to the truth of filter bags, herbalists. Yeah. It's the best kitchen trick, too. You can use it for syrups. Mm. Um, you can use it to strain off your ice cream bases, soup bases. You know, there's so many different things you can use it for in your kitchen when you're working with herbs, not just teas and tinctures. It's it's an amazing, amazing tool to have. Mm-hmm. Yep. Awesome. Next Can't level. wrap it enough. Next level equipment. <laughs> we're not selling it, so we're not getting paid. No, <laughs> this is a, no. a generic thing, but I just, <laughs> you know, when you have really good things, you want to share them with yeah. people. Okay, so we were talking before. Um, you were telling me that you're planning on moving to a 60-acre farm in November. What's yeah. up with that? So we have some plans. I've been living in the suburbs basically everywhere I've lived. I've lived all over Portland. Um, 
creating little backyard or front yard garden spaces. And um, we've been in Beaverton for the last year or two, uh, cultivating our backyard, replenishing the poor soil there. The whole yard was so sad and there were no bugs, there were no animals mm. coming into that space. There were barely any plants and really compacted soil. So we've spent a lot of time repairing the soil there, um, getting the mycelium growing really well. Um, all of the insects have returned, all of these, I mean, birds, squirrels, all different kinds of hummingbirds, I mean, crows, everybody's in the backyard now hanging out. Um, from just the diversity of plants, the care we've taken uh, to replenish the soil, we have a huge old maple tree that the leaves fall, and of course my landlord doesn't want me to kill the grass in the backyard, but I, I cover all of the flower beds in the maple leaves to help with soil and to help with the decomposition of those. You know, it's, it's important. It's important for, you know, all of the, the critters in the backyard to survive and thrive. So we've been wanting to kind of get out of that space and, and move into something where we can expand more. Um, it's the space I'm in right now is pretty small, but we've, we've, I mean, God, I, I'm probably have a list here of everything that we're growing in that tiny space, but mm. it's very limited in the amount. So I'm looking forward to getting out of the city into the country, mm. not just for peace and quiet, but so that we can, um, you really know, grow some stuff. Really, I mean, really 60 grow. acres, that's, yeah. you can probably have a whole, uh, herbal company with that amount of acreage. Yeah. That's remarkable. Well, I hope I get a chance to visit sometime. Yeah. So we have that in the plans and there might be a few things, you know, I might be able, um, to share a few little ideas on board here, but we're, we're discussing plans of, you know, some pop-ups for, um, uh, dinners with herbs and wild foods. Mm. Um, so that would be nice. A little food church. Um, and then, uh, you know, also there's some overgrown uh, orchards out there. So there's trees that have been on that property for almost 100 years now. Wow. Yeah. So. That's exciting. Pretty cool. That's, that's freaking awesome is yeah. what it is. Yeah. So I'm hoping to grow some stuff, diversify. Sweet. I have not been known to have much of a green thumb, but maybe you can teach me some things. I've because gotten everybody their green thumb. Every herbalist <laughs> should be able to grow herbs, right? Yeah. I feel like uh, that's the next thing that I need to do. You start with a house plant that you can't kill, which I mm. have some starts mm. for you if you want them. I need, I need that one to start with. <laughs> and then that builds your confidence, you know. Because I, I planted a bunch of, I went out on a limb and I was like, I'm going to plant all these medicinal herbs like echinacea yeah. and lemon balm and rosemary and this and that and this and that. I planted from seeds. They just never took. Yeah. I don't know what I did wrong. Echinacea takes a long time to flower. It took a year for mine to flower, to yeah. grow, to grow and flower. The seeds didn't the even make it into sprouts. Yeah. I probably uh, messed it up royally. Mm. I'll have to look back and, and see what I did wrong. But it was pretty it. demoralizing because I was really excited about it. <laughs> but, well, I'm hoping to be able to bring people out onto that property and show them how mm. you can grow, how you can diversify, oh, how nice. you can take into account some permaculture concepts and how it's very approachable. It's actually pretty, but it's a lazy, I mean, like it's semi-lazy man way of doing things. Right. You compost all the food that you eat. Mm -hmm. And that, that's your base, man, your right. compost. Just hope you're eating a lot of plants. Right. I'm, especially if you're, it's important. if you're growing, <laughs> if you're growing medicinal herbs, because the amount of work in harvesting them is like really not any, you just, they grow, you just take their leaves and then you dry them. Oh man. Harvesting cannabis, like trimming and all that is a lot more work than right. any vegetable or, or other herbs. Right. Cause been, most herbs so. are pretty easy. Yeah. Uh, they're just, you just kind of take it. Most of the time, yeah, you're in it depend. You take what you want for medicinal, and then you let some things go to seed because you want to capture your seed for next mm -hmm. year, next crop. Mm. Um, so seed saving is really important. So we do a lot of that as well. Mm. Yeah. What's your favorite plant of all time? Oh my god! That's you got so you're going to an island <laughs> tomorrow, Mindy, and you only get to bring one plant with you. No way, man. Choose wisely. Oh. 
That's, that's it. hard. That is so First one that comes hard. to mind. It's oh, the one. I don't even know. I mean, I'd probably bring oats, honestly. I'd probably bring oats. Because I'm thinking about survival and I'm thinking about nourishment. Let's say you have food. Uh, okay, food. So herb, herb, medicinal herb. You know... Ooh, that's hard because I really like my sea vegetables too. So um, if I can't take my kelp with me, then I would probably take holy basil um, or skullcap. Mm. Skullcap probably. It's one of my favorite mm. medicinal. That's nice. I like relaxing plants. Mm, me too. Yeah. So I'd probably actually bring tea, tea? a green tea or something. I feel like if I'm going to be stranded on yeah. an island, I might as well just, it'll probably help me just be calm and it'll yeah. give me something to do. And yes. I wouldn't want to bring anything too psychoactive because like being on an island alone. I might have to have a bad trip. No, that's terrible. <laughs> Once you realize what your predicament is, it's not going to be fun anymore. So green yeah. tea for me. Cool. Yeah, that's the one that I can always drink. Awesome. Yeah, so um, thank you again for, uh, for being on the Herbal Hour podcast. My pleasure, Bogdan. Thank you. Yes, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll speak again on uh, on other amazing topics. Yeah, I yes. would love to. So, if you're still listening, <laughs> <laughs> cricket, cricket, <laughs> you can um, you can follow the Dragon Herbarium uh, once more at Dragon underscore Herbarium on Instagram, and you can follow our lovely guest Mindy. At Mindish with those three M's. Mm. And yes, uh, you can go on the Dragon Herbarium website. It's just dragonherbarium.com uh, for listings of future upcoming workshops, events. We have one upcoming in a few days this weekend on uh, mushroom alchemy uh, and medicinal uses of mushrooms with a pretty cool cat. So check that out. Uh, in the next in the next month or so, uh, there's some plans for a workshop, uh, fresh plant tincturing, salve making, and potentially an Ayurveda class uh, for learning about the properties of Ayurveda herbs, which um, I will be hosting those, possibly in association with Miss Mindy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, stay tuned and thanks for listening to the Herbal Hour. Herbal Hour the podcast on all things herbal and holistic.